Hello and Happy New Year, dear listeners. The CC Podcast Telco is now entering its second year on air, and I'm delighted and looking forward to sharing even more on-the-go insights from the CC ecosystem. Today, we're revisiting Experio's session from the CC Enterprise 2022 Summit in Berlin last June. Service provider strategies for SD-WAN and SASE services catering to SMBs and large enterprises. Our moderator for this session is Amirz Mora, CEO and co-founder of FlexiWAN, and leading the discussion as our keynote speaker is Sandra Barnes, CPO at Experio. Our panel, who you'll hear from shortly, consists of Branislav Politonovic, Sales Engagement Manager at Deutsche Telekom Global Carrier, Phil Sasaya, Network Architect at Eon, Daniel Burke, Product Manager for Wide Area Networking Services at Lumen, Mark Cohn, Principal Technology Strategist of Virtualization at Spirens Communications, and Eric Kreifeld, Global Network Services Industry Analyst at Telegeography. Let's take a listen to what these experts had to share on the topic. My name is Phil, I'm a Network Architect Lead at Eon Digital Technology. Um, for WAN, LAN, and Wi-Fi. Eon Digital Technology is essentially the IT arm of Eon. We have one customer, and that is Eon Group. Um, three years ago, Eon started down the path of SD-WAN. Why we did so, who we chose as a vendor to work with, and what our new modern flexible WAN looks like, I'll share with you over the next 20 minutes. Uh, but first, who or what is Eon? Eon is a large energy solutions provider in Europe headquartered in Germany. We're into everything uh, energy related, uh, grid transport, gas storage, energy trading, retail, car charging, vehicle charging at the home in the garage, um, and so on. We are focused on energy innovation and sustainability, and we're using smart tech and renewables to become more energy efficient, not only for ourselves, for our customers as well. Uh, we use innovation like drones now to inspect power lines. We have an energy research center that we're quite proud of. And uh, we've used a hydrogen fuel cell to power a 400 room hotel in Frankfurt. We have around 40,000 locations in Europe. These include um, storage, maintenance, grid transport, that sort of thing. And we connect the corporate WAN to around 1,300 locations in Europe. That is these 1,300 locations that I work with. There's a lot of innovation in the energy market. This not only keeps us competitive, uh, but assists us with um, energy uh, targets like uh, reduced carbon footprint and better sustainability and the like. But innovation also uh, prepares us for the next few years of change. It, um, it helps us with uh, real world business problems such as stability, resiliency. And three years ago, there was a perception that EON's applications could be performing better over the network. So we undertook a serious review of our network and we found a lot of things, a lot of things that needed to be fixed. But uh, one of the things we found, and this is um, obviously a common theme with most organizations, is that most of our uh, data or most of our applications is pulled from the internet or the cloud. Uh, so we have our, our physical data centers, our least EON data centers, but these data centers are becoming empty uh, because our data has been migrated to the cloud. So EON has adopted cloud computing and we are a cloud-first organization. We've moved to or are moving to decentralized networks. So our data has moved out of the 
physical leased data centers and into the clouds of Azure and AWS and SAP. Digital transformation or digitization means our applications are innovating faster and are doing so in the cloud, not only for the economic benefits this gives us, but also for the flexibility. And nothing scales as quickly and as deeply as a cloud does. Uh, collaboration with our suppliers, our partners, our internal conversations, that now occurs on the internet. Um, and also the business to business machine to machine communications that's also occurring in the cloud these days. And increasingly, our customer interaction is increasingly digital as well these days, like probably like most of you are already experiencing. So to summarize all of that, our data has moved. Our um, dynamic interactive applications, they're in the internet now. And we are producing and consuming more and more data every month. So over 80% of our traffic is now trying to find the nearest internet exit point. So a question was, is our current network architecture fit for purpose? So on the screen in front of you now is a familiar picture to many of you who work in the industry. One or more physical data centers connecting by MPLS to one or you know, several sites with one or two central internet breakouts. Uh, an Azure Express route or an AWS Direct Connect, perhaps. Um, so Eon has sites from Sweden to Italy, from Romania to the UK. For internet and cloud-hosted traffic, we suffer from the tyranny of distance and latency to reach those internet breakout points. So this, for us, was a driver for change. With over 80% of our traffic, from 1,300 sites trying to reach these internet exit points, then the internet breakouts in the data centers drive a quicker than usual cycle of investment for upgrades. And this was also a driver for change. Eon is a big Microsoft Teams user, and at every Microsoft Ignite conference, Microsoft say, do not use central internet breakouts. It breaks the Anycast model, all the distributed transport relays in the cloud. So this for us was another driver for change. So we knew we had to have a, we knew we had to change, we had to have a broader geographical model of reaching the internet and the cloud and a high performance one. So how do, how do we do that? And this is how we started down SD-WAN. So yes, we can stand up more regional internet breakouts around Europe, but the internet breakout architecture we have is quite infrastructure heavy. So there's quite a lot of network and security appliances in line. So there's a high entry cost. Um, and with, with the, um, global supply chain problems at the moment, there's also a problem with delay and then high ongoing costs. So we wanted a, a simpler architecture model down to a single box, if we could, to have internet breakouts and support a decentralized model. This was another driver for change. Um, other SD-WAN requirements, I mean, similar to other organizations, you know, we're all under cost pressure. Uh, we look at the Gardner Major Quadrant. Uh, we wanted useful APIs. Um, feature set, you know, support, scalability. So all of these are, are pretty common to everybody. Um, for us, we also wanted to, you know, provide secure Eon WAN access over any internet medium. We wanted to leverage the ability to use whatever internet medium was available. Not all of our offices are in cities with lots of fiber around. So microwave, satellite, 4G, we wanted to be able to leverage that. We wanted to provide the full security stack for Eon applications in the cloud. 
And at Eon, we have a lot of projects, a lot going on all the time around Europe. And so we have a lot of external consultants. And these external consultants typically use our guest internet or guest Wi-Fi. So we wanted to provide a full security stack for guest internet at all of these locations. And so we wanted to leverage categories layer seven filtering to block categories such as gambling, violence, pornography, that sort of thing. Uh, and we wanted a vendor that would update all of those categories in the background. So manual URL, uh, adding a internet domain when there's probably hundreds added every week to these categories was not going to work for us. We wanted something automated. Uh, operationally, we wanted to have less use of the CLI for our um, service provider to not have to jump into CLI for every second thing. We wanted a technology that was reliable, uh, that was resistant to low quality links that would um, change in milliseconds to a better quality link if needed. And under the old model, um, you know, the, the traditional MPLS WAN, I mean, that's, a, that's just this diagram here just shows one WAN, but in reality, we have WANs in Sweden, a WAN in Italy, one in Romania, one in Hungary, UK, they're all different MPLS providers. And so even though we get a report every month from a different provider, we really wanted an overlay visibility, we wanted to be able to respond to trends as they happen in real time. We wanted to be proactive in there and we wanted, a, yeah, as I said, an overlay visibility so we could see traffic across the whole group. So we had a long list of requirements uh, and these are also drivers for change. So the old model works, but it's no longer optimal for us. So creating the fast lane we we still keep MPLS and we still keep the, some of the physical data centers, but we move away from MPLS being our only network connectivity and the data center being our only access to the internet. We have a new design, which we call the Intelligent Network. And the Intelligent Network meets our objectives of uh, direct cloud and um, as a service connectivity across a broad front for our user base. It addresses the requirements and drivers for change we knew needed to happen. We deeply leverage distributed Zscaler cloud enforcement nodes. These provide us with edge zero trust cloud security for our applications and resources in our data centers in the cloud and uh, from home, where, like a lot of you, are working from these days. We introduce cloud managed controllerless Wi Fi. Um, and in our drive to reduce our infrastructure footprint, controllerless Wi-Fi is also good. Um, we improve our agility, therefore, we can stand up sites faster and therefore higher productivity. There's improved quality of service, there's less complex routing, but a significant part of the intelligent network is SD-WAN and turning the natural advantages of SD-WAN into benefits for E.ON. Um, business intent overlays, automation, visibility, flexibility, aggregated bandwidth, and so on. So we had to choose an SD-WAN vendor, and in the end, we chose Silverpeak. Excuse me while I organize my notes. The, to have a complete design, we needed to decide upon an SD-WAN vendor. And when we started, there were over 60 
SD-WAN vendors in the market. So we had to narrow it down. So the first thing we did is like what most organizations do, we look at Gartner and we look at particular quadrants of Gartner and then make a decision what to do from there. But we narrowed it down to six uh, SD-WAN vendors. And then we started a paper-based exercise on narrowing it down to three. And of the six vendors, we each sent each of them a list of around 30 business and 30 technical requirements and asked them to complete that, you know, whether they could meet each requirement or partially meet or not meet at all. One vendor actually responded with, uh, we're not going to fill that out, we just want to talk to your decision maker. Um, so we were lucky in that we had a management team uh, who had a buy-in. What I mean by that is they were invested in finding a new solution, like us, and they were patient, uh, which was good because it took us 12 months to make a decision, um, mainly due to external impacts like COVID, and we're in the middle of another energy acquisition. Um, but the vendor selection process was robust. We had a lot of research. We talked to, a, we had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, and these included service providers around the world uh, that some of us had contacts with. Uh, we talked to other organizations, and these private conversations are really useful because out of the public eye, you learn a lot of information about the SD-WAN technology and whether it is fit for purpose and what works and what didn't. From the paper-based exercise, we narrowed it down to three vendors and we invited each of these three vendors to run a proof of concept. And each vendor got two sites each and a data center. The value of the proof of concept for Ian, I cannot overstate it. It was so valuable to determine the vendor. And here we've chosen Silverpeak, but when we started the proof of concept, I did not think Silverpeak was a leader. In fact, the leader who I thought um, was probably going to be the eventual winner was the first one to be dropped from the, um, from the proof of concept because it could not meet a key requirement. Um, SD-WAN for us, uh, sorry, Silverpeak for us, which as you probably know now has been acquired by HP and placed under the Aruba division. Uh, been a stable, very reliable platform. Uh, massive feature set, we're only using some of it, but we're very happy with it. We have three basic site architectures uh, in EON. We have our native MPLS, which is still quite a few of them. We have a hybrid model where we combine SD-WAN and MPLS. Um, I understand that SD-WAN will use MPLS as an underlay, just like an internet circuit. And then we have uh, what we call internet, um, sorry, intelligent network only, or SD-WAN only, where we don't use MPLS anymore. Uh, this another basic diagram uh, just shows you how our single SD-WAN box, our Silverpeak box now, gives us uh, direct internet access, secure corporate WAN access. Uh, the secure corporate WAN is illustrated by the dotted red lines. Um, the secure corporate uh, internet access to our as-a-service applications, that is to Zscaler, that is the dotted green lines, and the solid black line here with the local internet bracket LIB, that is for our guest users who go directly onto the raw internet at these sites. So we've, we're covering quite a few bases. We get the, we also get the provider independence. Uh, so we're not locked, we are locked into a global service provider contract, um, but we do have the ability to use local service providers where we need to. So welcome to the fast lane.
Before I do that, let me just remind you of um, our current or previous network, I should say. That's what it looked like before, and this is what it looks like today. So the words internet as a transport, internet as a backbone, these are more terms that we are more familiar with. If I just draw your attention to the bottom right, so the home office or remote working, I can tell you, at least at Eon Digital Technology, more than 50% of our workforce is working from home, at least 50% of the time. And this will continue. And I think globally, we are seeing this. So Zscaler, we leverage Zscaler to reach our main applications. Our main application is Microsoft Teams. It consumes a hell of a lot of bandwidth and uh, is the main application running over our network. And then from left to right down the bottom, we have the site architectures, which I talked about before, the intelligent network, uh, which is SD-WAN only. We have the hybrid, and then we have the native MPLS as well. We've got our uh, cloud interconnect provider talking to our public cloud. And there we've got uh, SD-WAN virtual appliances and some Zscaler connectors. Too fast. So the benefits, I mean, I won't read out all the bullet points. You can read this yourself. Um, but for us, the benefits have really been worthwhile. The visibility we, know, we, know, we didn't have before. Um, the maximized investment, all of you are aware under the traditional MPLS model, your primary and secondary circuit, 99.9% .9 of the time, the secondary circuit you're paying for does nothing. But it's your insurance policy. We need that insurance policy. Under SD-WAN, we can aggregate those links. So we can use both links in a waterfall or aggregated bandwidth. We can, we can use that in a DIA link and a satellite link if we need to. So the investment is maximized there. And, and also the redundancy. Uh, the centralized operations here, I have to say that this was also a major advantage of Silver Peak. We don't have a separate analytics engine. We don't have a separate appliance that we need to bolt on with several thousand different licenses. Uh, we've got one dashboard, one orchestrator um, to see everything. Um, and yeah, this really works for us. Basically, that's it. Thanks for your time. Any questions to Phil before we move on? Okay, we have a question. If you can just uh, introduce yourself. Thanks. Just one second. Let me give you a microphone. So, Jens Leuchters, New Tycho Frankfurt. Uh, Phil, thanks for the presentation. I have one question uh, with regards to your underlying network. Uh, so, how has this moved into your intelligent network, SD-WAN? Uh, how has decreased your cost from the underlying network and how do you do the carrier management? There's a few questions there. <laughs> <laughs> and I have even more. <laughs> so the underlying networks, I mean, we still need a physical medium to transport the data. Um, and we've got a service provider that is probably like many service providers moving to an SD-WAN world where they've still got the same fiber into the building, but instead of an MPLS fiber, that's now an internet fiber or, or a mix of both. Um, so we still use those technologies. Um, the cost is a, is a good question uh, because the, I mean, under the MPLS model, the CPE comes with, you know, the circuit. Um, and so you've got your one router, but with the one MPLS model, you don't have all the advantages that SD-WAN gives us. And SD-WAN adds on to that cost by the appliance itself and the, and the licensing you need. So yes, there's an additional cost there. 
um, if we've got a small site and we're just using ESL and some other basic technology, then we've got a cost advantage because the MPLS is not there. Uh, but most of our sites will have a DIA circuit, which is fibre, and the cost difference between MPLS and DIA is, in some cases, not that, not that different. So you're right, there is an additional cost, uh, but the benefits so far are, you know, higher performance, better use of the network, uh, seem to be um, worth it. Thank you. And if I may ask one more question. So am I right that you are actually in your inner transition that you will move your whole network into this intelligent network? Because currently you have an MPLS network, you have a hybrid network, and you have the intelligent network. So do you have a roadmap to migrate everything into an intelligent network? And if that is the case, what role plays your data center in future uh, in that concept? Because all your data is already in the cloud. Yeah, so the intelligent network is a framework. It's a new architecture, so it incorporates the existing, the current, and the changes we want to make to the existing or old architecture, which is not fit for purpose and um, has a lot of complexity. So the intelligent network incorporates SD-WAN, but it is not just SD-WAN. Um, it's a new architecture. Data centers, yes, we are emptying our data centers, but a few will remain, and but much smaller. Uh, and with MPLS, we actually own our own fibre in a couple of countries, and so we're not going to sort of kill that. We're going to make continue to make use of it. So we will you use we will make use of all of those technologies in the future, um, and just you know it's all part of that cycle of continuous improvement. Um, you know where it needs to be improved, we'll improve it, and change takes time. So we'll get there. Thank you very much. We have another question. Okay. Just a second. <laughs> oh, many questions. But there was, okay, move over here. First of all. Hi, I'm Brandesa from Deutsche Telekom. And um, thanks for the insights about the evolution of the network at E.ON. And my question is, as we are now also in the SASE uh, story, we saw Zscaler. Um, are there any ideas to the, let's say, evolution and development to SASE or SSE, so the security part, or what is the next um, evolution you're planning at E.ON for your network? Uh, no big evolution, so we're quite happy with what we've got at the moment. I'm not in the security team, um, so the, the, um, I'll, I'll leave those to those um, smarter people than me who handle that. Uh, but at the moment, Zscaler is, is doing that job for us. Um, so as I understand it, SASE is more of a framework rather than a product. So it's how we do security at the edge. And, and currently, we, as I said, we employ Zscaler in the cloud for the corporate uh, security, that's network and internet. And um, for the guest security, we do that at the edge on the silver pick device. I think we'll, we'll touch more on that uh, in the panel. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to bring up something related to that, but sure. I'll wait with it okay. for the panel. <laughs> One more question. Alessandro Forcina, Cambridge Management Consulting. Uh, unfortunately, my question was on security, okay. because my question was, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, a Zscaler, a zero trust network access. What about the other uh, security functions, such as uh, IPS, intrusion prevention system, CASB, and so on and on? But... Yeah, IPS, uh, we're using that in Zscaler as well. So um, there's an extra little feature we've, we've added on. Um, so Zscaler has a whole suite of features, and you can pick and choose 
what you want. And so, yeah, definitely IPS is, is included in that. Thank you. Okay, I will add, um, as I said, we will talk more because there was one slide that was very interesting that you showed at the end with the architecture. And I think that's great for the panel as well uh, to make some points from there. Uh, a technical question. You mentioned sub-second, I think, switch over or fade over to between links. Okay, so my question here, because I hear that many times. So let's say you have a link that has degraded. After how much time do you decide to switch? Uh, I don't know about other vendors too well, but with uh, Silverpeak, they have things called business intent overlay. So that's your overlay. It's a real-time application, okay? So okay, it's... so real-time goes into the um, what they call high availability um, business intent overlay, and that has sub that has milliseconds switch over. Oh. So it's it's a weird. I don't know how it does it. It's all in their intelligent magic, um, but it will switch a link with your um, voice conversation immediately. And what it does with the at least with that business intent overlay is sending the voice conversation packets over every underlay. So one of them is guaranteed. Yeah, uh, but you can do other things, do high, high, high uh, quality, which is using one link at a time, high availability, all of them at the same time, which reduces your bandwidth by 50%, but at least you guarantee delivery of the traffic. So there's, well, slice and dice depending on the application. Yeah. So I'll just say about that, if you have a link that, that's if you do sub-second, mm -hmm. okay, you can have a packet or two that will last and you decide to switch over but it was actually the best link. So after another second, you need to switch over again, mm. and then you need to switch over again, mm. and again, and again, it creates a pink. It's, exactly, that's why I'm, I'm saying the sub-second failover is a very strong marketing buzzword. In reality, if you really switch in sub-second, you create an incredible ping-pong that you don't want to be in, <laughs> okay? So there's much more details to it than I always hear sub-second. In reality, people don't switch sub-second. You need to have a, buff, a window in which you decide, okay, if really the line has degraded, then I switch over. If it degraded for 520 seconds, I'm not gonna switch over because of that, okay? So just uh, to put uh, things uh, you know, on the technical level here. I think uh, we'll move over to the next presentation. Next presentation is uh, Sandra Barnes, uh, who is Chief Product Officer, who we heard before from Experio, and he's gonna say, um, create a segue, I would say, into the panel talking about uh, SASE and strategies for providing services to enterprises and SMBs. Over to you. Well, welcome again. The, um, yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll try to make the segue between now and, and the panel session. I'll, uh, I'll explain a little bit more about a typical journey that we see our customers go through you know, when they start to embark on that uh, journey to go from a MPLS fixed network, start up using cloud applications uh, and need a whole new infrastructure and a whole new network. Uh, there will be a lot of similarities in the story that I will tell to what Phil just explained as well. So um, you can see it is uh, real life things. Well, welcome again. We can switch that one now. And the next one, this is marketing, way too big a picture. So let's switch one as well. So um, 
yeah, there's a whole new environment that you need to take care of uh, as uh, uh, as the CIO or as the network manager in in your corporation. Uh, and this is not only because of COVID. Uh, we see there's a lot of uh, changes already happening before COVID in the way that people were working. Uh, yes, it all got accelerated even further to uh, about 50% of the workforce that now works from home or from another place. Uh, but this was a trend that had already started. It just got accelerated. Um, and, uh, and what are you going to do in order to give your staff uh, a, uh, an, an environment from an application and an infrastructure perspective that really supports them collaborating with each other, regardless where they work from? Uh, this has an implication on how you develop your LAN environment at the office, but also you know, what, uh, what do you put in place in order to make sure that your staff can work from home. Uh, and it's not just on the working from anywhere or the hybrid situation that, uh, that, that you're looking for. Uh, it gets even more complex because your applications are going to go into the cloud. Uh, you're going to get a lot of applications that are sitting somewhere in a data center. It's called a cloud application. And as your central IT environment, uh, you'll make sure that you have all your corporate applications properly mapped out uh, and make sure that that is supported. But what, uh, what cloud applications are also going to give you is that uh, your local offices somewhere is so easy with a credit card to spin up yet another application somewhere uh, and central IT might not even be aware of that. So it's a highly fragmented and a highly complex environment uh, that uh, uh, that you need to work with. And this is going to have major implications on, on how you need to view your infrastructure and how you do that. Well, uh, also Gartner now made a strong statement there that the infrastructure of the future will not be architected at all as the networks that we have seen in the past you know, when we moved from technology through technology uh, I just sat down with uh, someone and uh, we talked about uh, X25, that's a very long time ago, but uh, in terms of technologies, there's always innovation, there's always something new coming, but this is really the first time where you're re really going to have to rethink the way, how am I connecting? Getting to the internet, there are many ways to get there through centralized gateways, but that might, might not support uh, the user experience that you're looking for, uh, so you're looking much more towards a local breakout solution but then yeah, how do you make the right choice how do i ensure that that infrastructure supports the applications that i've um, selected the, uh, um, there's no question about it uh, sd-wan and we'll talk about sas later as well uh, uh, there's a lot of growth in there and we're going to con con continue to see that growth i do see a very different adoption rate in terms of large global networks versus small regional or domestic networks on the large global scale. I would say we're still at the beginning of that growth line, but it's clear uh, SD-WAN, there are a lot of benefits that you can get out of it uh, if you decide to take your applications into the cloud. So what kind of benefits are you then looking for? Well, first of all, underlay agnostic. Yeah? Making a choice to go use cloud applications, adding uh, the right type of internet access at your sites does not suddenly mean that you're going to have to do hot swaps or cancel all of your existing infrastructure. Uh, the previous presentation clearly showed that as well. Uh, you can beautifully run in a uh, hybrid scenario. Uh, SD-WAN is network agnostic. Yeah. Cost effective. Well, that really depends on your architecture that you're going to go for. And we just heard a story that there was actually a cost increase, but there was a much better user experience and flexibility that uh, the company benefited for. Uh, we've seen other designs as well that we supported our clients with uh, when they did a full migration from MPLS into a full internet-based SD-WAN. And there we were able to give them uh, about a 30% cost savings. 
I wouldn't make that my top agenda point yeah, to do this migrations. It's really about the flexibility. It's really about being able to adopt a whole new infrastructure and an environment to support how your staff works with each other, but not just your staff. It's the way that you work together with your vendors. It's the way how you interact with all of your customers. It's all going across the internet these days. So, yeah, so those are the benefits for that you can do. It enables a, a way for you to get to your cloud access through on, uh, on an MPLS network, you have your direct or express routes that can help, but it's highly inflexible. Um, if you want to make use of the internet in order to get to your clouds, there's a lot of flexibility there. Uh, and again, uh, with an uh, SD-WAN deployment, uh, you might get the benefits from that. The, um, how you want to deploy that, you know, there's a little boxer in front of me, you can't all read that, uh, but there are many ways in order how you want to uh, uh, buy and manage your SD-WAN and how you want to mix that with a security environment. Uh, there are, uh, security is a really big word, it means something different for almost everybody. Uh, but uh, uh, the SD-WAN itself has got a lot of uh, as, uh, security aspects to it as well, which you can further complement uh, with solutions like a Zscaler or other cloud security solutions. One of the big benefits that SD-WAN is going to give you is the flexibility and the ease of use. Uh, you're going to get that global overview on your entire network performance, uh, which is a great benefit for most IT managers and they need to ensure that all the applications stay up and you can see what's going on. And um, uh, and because SD-WAN is application aware, it also gives you a lot of insights in that what I mentioned earlier, uh, other applications that might have been spun up somewhere that central IT might not be aware of, but SD-WAN at least you can create those insights, you can see what's going on, uh, which is another benefit that you get out of that. I won't talk too much about the last one, SASE, but SASE or SSE or whatever the next term is going to be, is a great addition towards your, your, uh, your whole uh, SD-WAN, if that works for you. And, uh, and when, especially in a distributed working environment, it can uh, really make, uh, make a difference. We added a little statement here, and it's not mine, it's Gartner's. Uh, you can see uh, that the term SASE is very hot, uh, but at the same time, uh, the, uh, the, the technology itself is still immature. So we're going to see a lot of innovation soon as well. So is it then magic? Um, no, it isn't. Uh, it's actually still highly complex. Uh, building a network, takes a lot of knowledge. Uh, you need to un understand all your different applications and how they work in your glo uh, global network. Uh, true, by the time that you've gone into your, uh, you know, you've created your site profiles and when the SD-WAN uh, announces itself to your orchestrators, the whole deployment of that has become a, a lot easier. But I would definitely not call it zero touch or zero deployment. Uh, there's a lot of pre-work that needs to be done. And I still haven't seen a box just float onto a site and gets connected to that location all by itself. Uh, so you need to make sure that, uh, uh, that you are aware of that. Uh, how do I get a box inside? How gets it installed in my network? Uh, uh, and do I have the right configurations for all the different site designs that we're going through? The, um, I'm missing one slide here, but that's okay. I'll talk about it. So when we, uh, when we look at a typical deployment, uh, uh, so how do you make a choice for a managed services provider? Well, there are quite a few aspects that you need to consider. Now, one is who's going to manage the SD-WAN? Do I want to do it myself? If you have IT teams that are strong and knowledgeable enough, that might be one way of doing it. Or do I outsource this and I procure it as a managed service? On the underlay services as well, uh, SD-WAN is only as good as the underlay that you can procure and, uh, and the quality of the underlay as well as the internet. 
that is related to that uh, and how that uh, plays with each other. So uh, when you look at a typical global network, there's a lot of local ISP networks that, uh, that need to come together. Uh, we've seen network designs that involve three to 400 or even more different ISPs. Do you really want to contract all of those yourself uh, or do I make use of a service provider uh, that consolidates that all for me uh, so that I have a single pane of glass on all of that performance but also one bill to pay and one support number to call which makes life a, a lot easier. Um, and then I think what you want to have as a global enterprise uh, when you go through this whole motion, don't underestimate the change of your staff. This is all just technology and technology will change. Uh, the biggest change that you will be managing is the change management of how people work with each other uh, and, and how they need to adopt the new applications within, uh, within the processes that they need to work with. Uh, and we see that uh, when we are in these technology deployment projects, that if we see delay, delay, it's usually not because of technology, the availability of a box or a local access line that needs a little bit of a longer lead time. Yes, all of that will happen. Uh, but we see that most of the delay is introduced by the change management, the adoption of the new way of working, uh, which, uh, which will take time. So make sure that that is in your plan as well. Suddenly my other slide popped up. Well, we just went through all of these, uh, these points as well. Yeah. What we as Xperio can do, a little bit about us, yeah, we can provide the full uh, underlay. Yeah, we have a, a full visibility for any location anywhere in the world about what kind of access technology is available, which local access suppliers and ISPs support that, uh, and the underlying costs. So that really helps to make a design that fits your budget, fits your application choice, because all the applications are unique, but also looks for the site availability that you're looking for. Uh, if you want to connect a factory, you're looking for a high availability design, so you want to make sure that all your links are properly supported by SLAs and that gives you that 99.99 that you're looking for. Uh, for a small sales offer somewhere else, uh, you'll have a completely different requirement. So uh, just to say, I would like to have that. It's very difficult. You don't know what's available until we have looked. So this is where we can really help. If you want to see the whole co collaboration between your underlay and your overlay uh, and see how the two play with each other, uh, it would be great if you had a single interface that gives you all of that. As Xperia, we have developed one platform, we call it the Xperia One. It is technology agnostic, and so it doesn't matter what kind of uh, SD-WAN technology we provide to you, your views will always be the same, which is great uh, if you grow as a company because of your budget and the complexity of your network, you might want to start with an SD-WAN technology uh, that, uh, that fits that requirement better after maybe some acquisitions or uh, growth and more complexity in your network. You might want to change your SD-WAN technology and to support the new requirements, you don't have to train your teams. You know? We keep the interface all exactly the same, uh, which can also be a great benefit for you to focus on your own business growth and your business uh, benefits, you know, while a managed service provider takes care of all that technology uh, change and innovation in the background. And with that one, I want to close today's keynote and look forward to our panel session. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, we're running a bit late on time, but if there is a question from somebody? Oh, I'm in the panel. Okay, <laughs> we're asking the panel. So let's move over to the panel. Now we're going to do this. Okay, maybe. How many of us are there? Actually, 
Yeah. Where, where do you want yeah. to go? Yeah, it's just cozy. Okay. Amir, do you want to sit here on the life um, plate? I'll be here. Okay. okay. Yeah, come on. Let's sit closer. We are a bit more better in the picture. <laughs> Phil, maybe you take one of the mics on your desk and that you can be heard better. Uh, yeah. yeah, cool. Maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was super interesting what you, what you showed us. Come on, really nice insights. Thank you. It's the area now. Okay. So, um, in addition to the panelists that we have here uh, in the room, we also have two panelists who are connected from remote. So, um, I'll just describe the, the title very in high, in very high level, then we'll do a quick round of introductions, and then I'll touch a bit more and we'll move over to some questions, and hopefully we'll have some questions from the audience. Until now, we got questions, so I hope that we'll have more from the audience. So, the panel is talking about the service provider strategies for SD-WAN and SASE services when they cater to SMBs or large enterprises, and we'll try to talk a little bit about the differences between them. Uh, let's start with a quick round of introduction. We'll start maybe with our two remote panelists. So, uh, Eric, if you can hear us and you can uh, introduce yourself, even by video, that would be great. Here he is. <clears throat> sure. Um, I'm Eric Kreifelt. I'm a principal analyst with Telegeography. We're a market research firm that covers the global um, a market for network services. Uh, we're particularly focused on international transactions, international services uh, in wholesale and retail, and retail including enterprise and consumer. Great. Thank you very much. And Mark from Spirant, if you can introduce yourself. Yes, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Mark Cohn and I'm from Spirant Communications, a world leader in communications testing technology. Uh, I am a principal technology strategist that's looking at the uh, the near-term future and applications that uh, that actually exploit all of our core competencies across the company. I also participate in some external activities, including the MEF SD-WAN program. I, I'm actually the program lead for the, the first SD-WAN certification program that the MEF has been offering since 2019. Thank you, Mark. And now we can move over. Actually, Phil, you already spoke, so people know you, but you can just. Uh, yeah, my name is Phil. I'm a network architect lead at Eon Digital Technology. I'm Sondor, Chief Product Officer Xperia. Philip Hausner from Cisco. I'm the leader for the EMEAR Technical Services Architects uh, on ST1 for Cisco. Uh, Daniel Burke um, from Lumen. I'm the, the product manager for. SD-WAN and SASE in EMEA. Hi, I'm Branislav Politanovic. I'm from Deutsche Telekom. And uh, so my role is, uh, I feel a bit of pity about uh, Phil because exactly what you described is my job, you know, to find the right solution. And as we're uh, SD-WAN vendor agnostic, what we've done is exactly what we, you were searching for, compare all the solutions to answer which is the right fit so that you don't have to think about it. So I feel really pity. And 
to, to go over to SASE. Um, I've done that as well at the moment with, with colleagues analyzing exactly the top uh, Gartner quarter leader uh, SASE offerings, you know, to see, okay, where they differ, how do they implement to exactly solve and answer questions like you had as a customer, you know? So maybe you can have a chat on that. <laughs> okay, great. And my name is, as I said before, I'm Yours Mora and I'm the CEO and co-founder of SexyWan. And to better introduce the topic, I would start to go back a little bit in history. And once upon a time, we had MPLS and dedicated lines and everything was on site and cloud did not exist for, except for the clouds that we see that give us the rain. And then enterprises started to move their applications to the cloud. And suddenly it changed the network requirements. And SD-WAN came along and brought us a great promise of disaggregation of software and hardware, which didn't happen completely even until today. Usage of general purpose lines instead of those very expensive dedicated lines, broadband LTE instead of that, much more network agility. And most importantly, I would say connectivity to the cloud. And the beginning was all about cost reduction, although we know very well that today it's not really cost reduction. And in many cases in the SD-WAN uh, deployment ways, the bandwidth is going up very, very significantly because a lot of packets are duplicated and stuff like that. And there was a lot of overhead in the headers of the SD-WAN. So it's not necessarily cost reduction, but it's much more agility and better uh, quality and less um, lock into a specific connectivity provider. Now, after that, we had SASE that was mentioned before. And we're gonna talk, talk a little bit about SASE and SASE became kind of the holy grail like two years ago the peak of inflated expectations on the Gartner hype cycle. Everybody was looking for SASE. Many didn't even exactly know what it is, but everybody talked about it, uh, secure access service edge. And then suddenly, not long ago, Gartner came out with a new term called SSE, secure uh, service edge. I'm trying to remember all of these acronyms. And basically when you look at the reality companies, enterprises, and also vendors and service providers, they all spoke about SASE, but in reality, you had many different architectures. And that was the very interesting uh, slide that Phil showed us before of their network. They separated between what they took for SD-WAN and their provider for security that is now called SSE. Zscaler didn't know that they're SSE until Gartner invented the, the acronym, but they are SSE, okay? And they made their choice of best of breed. And there are other things that can happen of how do you decide on which type of traffic do you direct to the SSE provider, which traffic you take directly. All of these are architectural decisions that need to be ta uh, taken into consideration. And as we start the panel, I would like to ask you a very simple question. Do you think that there is a single right solution regardless if it's a large enterprise or it's a smaller enterprise. If there isn't, what are the consideration points that you would take as a vendor, as an enterprise, as a service provider, when you decide which solution to deploy to which type of customer? I know it's a pretty broad question, so you can adjust your answers a little bit and we'll try to drill in a little bit into it afterwards. So who wants to take the first stab at this? Maybe we'll start from the left-hand side. 
Yes, of yeah. course. I okay. mean, of course, there is the one solution. It's the one which fits to the one customer with the <laughs> one <laughs> exactly requirements, and that that shows the complexity of that. I mean, Phil nicely elaborated that, right? So you have a customer, and each customer different, even in in the scale. Uh, they differ. If you have a small customer or a small businesses, they have different requirements um, than large customers, which also means, okay, other international or, or more national, the amount of sites and all these things uh, play a role. And that's also the reason why you have so many uh, security or SD-WAN solutions, because there is no one fits all. And that's okay. I mean, uh, Phil nicely explained he has Silver Picaru, but now it could be in five years that some, some different company, right? Because Solutions change, requirements change, business develops. Okay, so uh, actually interesting. I had the previous discussion with uh, Philip here, and uh, he introduced some, uh, his point of view. But let's uh, hear Daniel first. So we'll go according to the. Yeah, well, surprisingly, you know, there is no one solution um, because, well, if all customers were the same, as you said, <laughs> then there would be, but they're not. They're all coming from different places, different histories, different skills, different strategies about what they want to do in-house, what they want to outsource, um, different locations, um, different um, uh, industries that they're working with, different contexts for, for their security and their appetite for security and their security posture. So there is no one solution. Um, you have to be flexible um, and listen to, 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 to the customer, of course, and find out what's important to them um, rather than uh, mandating one solution for them. Okay, so I'll try to focus the question a bit more and then maybe you'll want to add some more. Because I'm trying to understand, yeah, of course it's not one size fits all, it can never be. Yeah. The question is, is the consideration point the size of the enterprise? Is it the requirements of the enterprise? And what do you do in your example as a service provider? We have two service providers who just spoke now. As a service provider, what do you do in order to really be able to service more segments or maybe you can say okay we only service the very small enterprises the mid-size the very big ones and that's it if it's because of size or only these type of requirements if it's that so i'm trying to focus a little bit if you can elaborate further yeah i mean i think the um we well on our volumen we probably have a, a sort of sweet spot about in terms of the size of enterprise. So we're probably not always dealing in a mere with the very, very small customers. So that's, that's already a focus that, that sh that's kind of telling us where, where we're going to focus on. But it's so much about, um, again, it, it's where, it's, it's to a certain extent, where the customer's coming from. It's not about their size. That could be a thing, but you can get very demanding small customers, very, dem and, and large customers who are much more relaxed. It, it's, I can't think of a, a single thing or even way apart from, apart from saying to listen, um, because you'll pick up the, um, you'll see what's important to them and see what, what problems are they trying to solve. Okay, thank you. And well, Eric and Mark, don't worry, we're coming back to you. I want you to hear the point of views and you are not representing, not a service provider or an SDN vendor, you'll give us the neutral point of view. So uh, we'll wait with you for a few more minutes. Okay, please. So yeah, I mean, I just couldn't agree more. There is no one fits all. What, what we have chosen is basically is two things where you say you have an option 
yeah, your portfolio is broad, so you can offer different solutions. That's what we talked before, right? In Cisco specifically, we have two portfolios. One is a classic Cisco with a Vipteller solution, which addresses the, I would say, simply complex networks, high demanding customers. And then you have some Iraqi uh, solution, which is focused on ease of use and uh, centralized dashboard environment. And both have their uh, existence and their customer. And I could not really quantify the customer, right? We have large customers on both sides. We have small customers on both sides. So that just underpins that the requirement of the customer is really very different across. And the same is when you go into SASE, we offer our own SASE solutions with our both of our SD-WAN portfolios in there. We have our own security services, but we also partner with somebody like Cscaler and other third-party vendors where you have the flexibility to choose and what the customer wants. Uh, don't get me wrong, we always love to sell our own stuff first, right? So there's no question as a vendor. And also for my service provider colleagues, I think they're in the same boat. But what we're trying to achieve is really to make this adopting to the needs of an enterprise, of a customer, what size, what requirements they have is really important and what other technologies they already have in place. And Phil, you mentioned that in your presentation as well, right? You have that C-scaler already in place, so you want to use that and you want to be able, your integration is there. So if I translate it to a very simple uh, statement, you're, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is that the way to cater to different segments is just by having multiple solutions or versus having a solution that can be kind of modified or, or modify your solution so much that you can have a wide span i think there are limits to what you can do be between complexity and simplicity right you want a lot of features a lot of uh knobs and bolts coming more from the traditional world you can't have that complex uh, those simple to manage if you go to the very simple what you showed in your dashboard you're very great it's very easy for a non-demanding customer who wants to outsource that service and hide the complexity either in intelligence or with a partner but it's not like you can do one size fits all okay i'll I mean, quote i'll quote a, a service provider that's not here but that was in another panel some time ago and they're using only a single vendor and he asked the other service providers so you have a customer coming in and how do you decide which uh, solution to give them because you're offering three or four? Okay, and so we look at the requirements and based on that, and other requirements have changed because they grew, they acquired a company, blah, blah, blah. What do you do, you switch? Okay, so there, there should be a balance between the level of changes you can do inside that single system that you're offering in order to allow for change of requirements, I think. But I mean, I mean, you can take it also, I mean, nicely elaborated, you know, when you want to have Cisco, you have a lot of freedom and configuration, you know, and we heard from Phil, this business intent overlay of uh, Aruba, they differ. And maybe it's the most easiest way to start from the top line saying, okay, what do you want as a customer? You know, when you want to have, for example, uh, uh, Aruba, then you go with this business intent overlay saying you want to have uh, application landscape which is optimized you know out of the box that's where is Aruba known for if you want to have the freedom of configuration for sure I mean Cisco by by its history offers exactly that and this is how you can put all 
you know, the, the solutions, even Fortinet, you know, uh, Juniper, etc. This is maybe a good starting point to know, okay, what is the unique selling point, how the vendors see themselves, you know, and then you can narrow a bit. Okay, thank you. Let's move over to Sander. Yeah, I think we're talking a lot about technology here, but uh, don't forget uh, customer culture, uh, people and, and geographical locations. Uh, uh, if I look at uh, some of the large networks that we're supporting, uh, if I understand, for instance, how they operate in China, uh, that will completely create a different requirement. Uh, well, Russia is kind of a no-go at the moment, but if you want, yeah, it's, so it starts with customer requirements. You have to match that with the customer culture, also with budget. Sure, we can go for a technology that can do it all, which can also support the, the, the simple networks, but why pay for something that you're never gonna use? So you need to find a healthy balance between all of those things. I think you call that requirements. Uh, I would add to that also uh, the geographical spread, what kind of support do, does the customer expect? And the one thing that I see with technology vendors is that not everybody can give you the same RMA experience globally. Uh, if it is uh, eight by five by next business day shipment, that really changes the design of the network uh, because now I need to make sure that I have enough boxes on site in order to create that site availability. If the vendor can support a 24 by seven by two on site, uh, that again will change the, the, the way that we look at the design. So it's a combination of all of those aspects which makes every customer unique. Uh, so, uh, based on their application landscape, where those locations are, uh, and their budget, and, uh, and their requirements. Okay, so it's kind of a combination of requirements and size, I would say. Okay, Phil, before we move over to you, I would want to talk, see the answers from Eric and from Mark, because then I have a question to you also that relates to things that you presented to segue kind of into security. So, uh, Eric and Mark, uh, who wants to go first? And maybe, Eric, if you have some things you want to share with us uh, from a data perspective, uh, please uh, feel free to do that. You can share your screen if you have some information to share. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> sure. Thanks. Um, I, I think, you know, I think there's some consensus here uh, about not uh, one single solution, unless, of course, it's the one you're selling. But I think Daniel made a good point about, you know, it's not. 100% correlated with the size of the enterprise because you know a small enterprise could have very demanding requirements either for the application itself or a, a particularly global footprint even though it might be a smaller company although you would probably find that more often with a larger company but and also related to that it I think was also mentioned that is a, a given company's appetite for you know managing the WAN itself and, and having that capability in-house versus not seeing it as you know uh, a core competitive advantage in that sense and they're more happy to have it you know managed and have it you know even be a bit more opaque as so long as it meets the requirements and in that sense about those requirements you know as uh as i been saying it's, it's about the applications rather than maybe some of these other metrics i mean if you need a lot of processing power and immediate access to it that suggest one architecture versus another one if you can handle a few more milliseconds you know and do things more centrally so it's things like that that maybe drive it a bit more um as far as criteria we'll see how quickly i can uh get the screen share up for us and okay the let's see there it is Looks okay? Yep. Yes. 
Okay. Um, that was the uh, security ones. So the, there we go. So, so just some of the criteria for selecting vendors, which isn't quite, you know, the solution itself, but uh, just surveying uh, mostly large global enterprises or make up this, this survey that we did and asking about the uh, uh, criteria that we, we offered them. Prices, it's interesting that the price has actually gone back and forth. It was initially all about price, and then it became more about performance, and then it's, you know, now price is popular again. Um, and there, there are some aspects of uh, the vendor itself. Uh, you know, we, there's not just one solution, but we probably don't need 60. And, uh, and some of that M&A, you know, it sounds like Phil's done okay with the acquisition of uh, uh, the vendor that they chose, um, but that's a factor. You wanna make sure they're gonna be around to uh, support and, and security has risen as a, uh, uh, a big factor as well. Not so much the deployment model, it's flexible and you can make just different options there. And I don't wanna make Mark angry with the standardization here. I think maybe from the enterprise point of view, you know, yes, they would love it if they have an acquisition and it's interoperable, but what good is interoperability if it doesn't satisfy their needs in the first place? So I don't, I don't want to under uh, you know uh, understate the importance of uh, standardization. But when we ask, you know, it, it comes up uh, beyond you know a little bit lower than some of the other fundamentals. Thank you very much, Eric. Sure. Uh, Mark, so let's move over to you, please. Yeah, um, there's no question that there is no one size fits all, but there are common characteristics I think that a lot of customers and, and a lot of service providers are considering and driving their strategies. I mean, some of them being, all of them have to migrate from some existing environment. There, you know, there, there's a notion of a greenfield, but it really isn't. It's really a, all networks are hybrid networks in this sense. And that tends to drive a lot of decisions, whether it's the vendor selection, whether it's some of the policies that are going to be implemented, or whether it's, it's just in general what this architecture looks like. The other main driver, and I think Eric touched on it, was applications. This is not about network connectivity. It's not about bits and bytes. It's really about how do you actually access applications in the cloud? And SD-WAN, it really evolved from the campus technology into this cloud access. And that, it, that implies going to the next level to the security. That's why we're seeing the security considerations that, that are driving SASE, SSE, or really cloud-hosted security with zero trust uh, access. And um, the, other, the other thought that, that I had is that when I looked at and, and Eric, you, I, I'm fascinated with your data because you know you do get right to the heart of it what enterprises are looking at. But but other data that I'm running across is indicating that enterprises are not trying to take this on on their own anymore, and that's why the managed services industry all of a sudden exploded. And now we're seeing this big crossover. A couple of years ago, I'd say 2020, when we saw more uptake of um, enterprises moving to managed services than they were gonna do it on their own. And that has significant implications, like for instance, standardization, just to come and address that point. The standards that are being created are not being created for enterprise, they're being created for the managed service provider community, because that's the group that needs to deal with multiple vendors, multiple different approaches, customers, environments, much more so than any one enterprise. And I think that that's how we have to think about this moving ahead. 
Thank you very much. Um, I'll just touch one point about this from what uh, Sander presented at the end of his slides, that even though I understand you're using multiple vendors, right? They still have uh, a one user experience for all, although I assume that not all of the vendors have the same APIs. You just had to do the work in order to integrate with all of them into your system. That's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, so that relates in some, to some extent to standards. Uh, maybe life would have been easier if everything was the same. <laughs> um, Phil, so I left you on purpose to the end because you're the only one that actually represents an enterprise here, right? So it's interesting to hear your point of view, not from a service provider's perspective, but from an enterprise perspective, if uh, when you selected the vendor, if there were some vendors that you said, oh, they don't fit to our segment completely, we're not even looking at them, uh, how did you make that uh, very short list of vendors that you started uh, evaluating uh, with respect to requirements, with respect to size that they cater to? What can you say about that? Well, we had a decision matrix. Um, the things that were important to us. Uh, so typically, uh, I'm saying typically not all, but service providers will work with a vendor that you know works for their business. And we needed to find a SD-WAN vendor that worked for our business. And so we had the typical things like, um, um, you know, Gardner Leader. Um, we wanted a Microsoft Office 365 partner. We wanted a Zscaler integrator that, well, an SD-WAN vendor that was very well integrated with Zscaler because that was a key technology for us. Um, but we also wanted something, um, you know, one dashboard, uh, not as... They did not have a complex licensing model, so even little things like that. Uh, but we had a, a long list of requirements, um, and you know some of the vendors couldn't meet these, and so we had a decision matrix that was basically a green and a red dot next to each vendor, uh, the, you know, list of requirements on our left and the vendors across the top, and basically we narrowed it down to the, the you know who had the least red marks. <laughs> Okay, so it's basically requirements, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to check about time because we have five minutes. Is it okay if we go five minutes over time? Just to manage the questions. Yes, okay, great. So uh, we'll continue with you, Phil, and coming back to the slide that you showed towards the end of your presentation with your architecture. And I want the question that I want to ask is related to security. And where should security reside? We have the recommendation, let's call it, of SASE that pretty much defines a silo where you have a single provider, let's call it, because it's not exactly a vendor anymore. It's a service provider that provides you the edge device with the edge software, the backbone that the edge device always connects through that backbone, sorry, through connects always to the first pop and through the backbone of that provider, it goes to the security in the cloud of that provider and then over the backbone again to the closest pop uh, the one that is closer to the destination. On the other hand, there are more uh, agile, let's call it, or flexible and hybrid approaches, like you presented on your slide, that you have a different provider for the cloud security. Some of the lines were actually going around it and not going through that cloud provider. And probably there are some considerations that your enterprise has uh, of which traffic does go through the SSE provider and what type of traffic would not go through it and would skip it. So from your point of view, 
where would you want to see security? Do you also have some security elements at the edge where everything is in the cloud? If you can touch that, please. I can talk for Eon, but um, everybody's different. Everyone's got a you know, different requirement. And I have to preface what I'm about to say by saying I'm not a security person, I'm a network person. But our biggest network now is not in the network, it's people working from home or the hotel or the train station or the airport. And so the edge um, for these you know, remote workers, which is quite a huge network now, thousands and thousands of devices, um, has to be at the edge. So we're not putting a network of security appliances there, but they are connecting to our network. I would say we have different security infrastructure and requirements for a data center, uh, for a small site, and for a corporate office. And we make decisions, or our security people make decisions, um, on best fit for purpose. But I cannot advise on the best place for a secure situation because, yeah, impossible. That's... I guess the answer is it depends. It depends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, who wants to take the, the question next? Yeah. Well, let's okay. go down the line. Uh, okay. Yes, it depends. I've seen different types of configurations. Uh, we want to say Zscaler, I've seen configurations whereby everything was pointed towards Zscaler. So all applications were screened by the Zscaler application uh, that ended up having some impact on the user experience. Uh, take, for instance, the Office 365 suite. Uh, we ended up taking that out of that Zscaler environment and do that with local breakouts straight to the uh, uh, 365 cloud because that gave a much better user experience. Uh, but it pretty much depends on the application choice, uh, the, uh, you know, what security means for the customer that we're supporting, uh, how we're, how we're going to set that up. Um, what I do think we're going to see in the near future is that uh, routing and security is all starting to merge. And uh, you know, whereby uh, you're going to get a lot of that capability within the network itself, uh, pretty much coming from the cloud. And, that, uh, and what kind of acronym? Gardner is going to give that, uh, we're going to see, but I do think uh, somewhere 2023, you're probably going to see the first versions of that. Okay, we can uh, try to make up the acronym already now. <laughs> <laughs> we can make a suggestion, okay. yeah. Something with the letter H inside for hybrid, maybe. Okay, we'll think about that later. Yes, please. Okay, also coming from a network perspective, I'm not a security expert, but I would clearly say the security needs to be everywhere. Coming from that perspective, uh, with, I say, would say you need to have security everywhere. You have to have it on the edge. You have to have it when you access the cloud. You have to have it inside your corporate networks, inside your data center. You have to have it inside your cloud deployments. So there is no answer where you say, oh, put everything on the edge or put everything on the, on the device or put it only in the cloud. I think it needs to be everywhere and it needs to be so solutions like zero trust, like an IPS or a firewall, a classical one, where you protect access points. It could be something like a client residing on a machine, like you described when you're in the airport or here at the hotel, I cannot put a, a device in here. So, but it needs to be all across the network. And I think the power will come from, if you combine the intelligence of the network with the security, brings that together, do the analytics and then defend that so it's not a what we said in the in the past where you had your perimeter security where you could clearly define outside 
and inside, and you could say on the border, I have my, my enforcement, that's still true maybe for a large interconnect, right? Where you connect, where do you need to connection to a cloud, different cloud services, but from an overall perspective, it needs to be everywhere. Interesting, yeah. So to agree with what's been said, but it's also interesting thinking about you know, why was cloud, why did Sassy talk about security going to cloud? One of the reasons was because of the, the performance requirements of some of the security uh, capabilities. So you know, can they be put on, on the edge because we won't have the, the, the power down there? So I can see and for some enterprises we're seeing, well, I need to have uh, this capability in the cloud for my remote users. Well, why don't I put my, my branch security in there as well to, 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 to simplify things? But it's also interesting thinking about where people are coming from. Some, uh, some customers, I think, are very attached to their, to their current security provider, whether it's Zscale or, or, or whoever, and will want to keep that. Um, and so then it becomes a challenge about how, and obviously uh, with your architecture, um, and one thing that that leads to can be a, having to stitch together your SD-WAN devices and your security devices, which can create a lot of complexity. So there's a lot in this decision about how to do security um, mm -hmm. and whether it should be driven from the, if you like, from the SD-WAN vendor or from the SASE vendor, or do we keep what we've got and mix it? In, in that or way? maybe do a gradual migration. Uh -huh. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would like that you all imagine for a second your car or just approaching a car. What is the first thing you do? You take your keys, you open the car, you sit down, you fasten the seatbelt, right? There were two features of security in there, opening the car and fasten the seatbelt. And we saw here um, now two points where uh, in this, this panel where you said, okay, we're, we're network expert, but not security expert. So that's the, the problem which we have nowadays that network and security were totally disconnected. And that's why I'm grateful to, to uh, Gartner that they put for the first time security on a platform saying security by design, like in cars. Imagine if you would not have an airbag, if you would not have a, a seatbelt, you know, it, it is incredible if you just sleep for a second or you're not aware and then you crash. You have the seatbelt, you have the airbag, everything is cool. And it's the same with security network. For the first time, we have the convergence of security network functions, which means if you forget something at the moment, then you have the security features in there in one solution. And it's not like, you know, in former times you have SD-WAN and then you take, let's say, the Z-Scale as Palo Alto, all great solutions, don't get me wrong, but it's not by design. It's then by demand or purpose, the security has to be in there as a building block. And that changes SASE, and that's a great thing about that, and SSE as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, Eric, I see already prepared a slide for us, so please mm -hmm. go ahead. We can't hear you, maybe you're muted. Eric? Yeah, you're muted. Oh, that's his security features. He wants that we read from the lips. <laughs> okay, there we go. They, it, it had hidden my mute button when I was showing you the uh, slides. So let's uh, do that again. Okay, trying to get ahead of it and it failed. So yeah, the I think a couple of interesting points that have been made already is that, you know, I think the the security team at an enterprise can continue to be 
somewhat siloed, you know, following on the last point. And even Phil said, I, I'm a network guy, I'm not a security guy. And that's that's really common uh, on, the, on the user side. Um, so it, it has been somewhat profound to try to you know, marry those things to, uh, together. Uh, but on the, on the provider side, it, it seems like, you know, I'm on the slide here, you can see we've asked, and these are, these are enterprises that are already adopting SD-WAN, how are they, you know, uh, you know, compare, you know, how are they sourcing their, their, their security services? And you can see it's a fairly even spread of, of what we've asked, you know, of the different uh, options that we've asked about. But one thing about it, 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 they all kind of funnel back to the same handful of security vendors. Cause even if it's being provided by, you know, a network service provider, maybe, you know, kind of a more traditional telco or a uh, systems integrator or an SD-WAN vendor, you know, it, it may be just Palo Alto behind it anyway, you know, uh, either uh, more or less transparently. So, you know, the, uh, but in terms of the sourcing, I suppose, you know, it, it can come from different ways and directly from the vendor looks a bit smaller, but again, that kind of hides the fact that it's, you know, the same uh, sources, you know, of, of, the, of the services ultimately. Thank you. And Mark, when we turn over to you, I want to take advantage of the two hats that you're wearing, uh, Spyland on one hand and MEF on the other. And if you also, if you can also touch about the challenges in the deployment and delivery of uh, secure SD-WAN uh, managed services and integration of all of these with uh, SASE, if you can touch that as well. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Amir. Um, I, I think the panel's response to the question is sort of indicative of what the situation is. So because we are siloed and there's a network group and a security group, and most of us on this panel are network experts and not security experts. And at the same time, Eric is showing what we've already seen. So Eric, I've seen multiple different research assessments that indicate that this multi-vendor security situation is just going to get broader and 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 not to be negative, but worse in the sense that the proliferation of vendors is just increasing because we've never seen segmentation like we do in security. I mean, cybersecurity has dozens of segments. I mean, you go to RSA in San Francisco as an example, there's like 50,000 people, but there's like 40,000 network segments of all the problems they're trying to solve. And this is what we have to address. And to do that, I think that one of the reasons why managed services became an option is because enterprises just throw up their hands and they can't deal with the complexity. And when you layer up-leveling networking to provide application-level networking and cloud access with SD-WAN with trying to secure it all in a multi-vendor, multi-domain security environment, now you can understand why you're going to be looking to traditional service providers to, to, to provide the, in, in, in some cases, it is the same products, but, it, but, but having those products sitting in a box and getting those products into a network is a whole different proposition. And one of the aspects that we are going to see in at least increasing attempts to do is to introduce, as, as Amir was pointing out, introduce standardization, at least for the managed service provider, so that we can deal more effectively with this multi-vendor issue. Now, my company, Spiron, has this unique role of being this Switzerland in terms of providing testing that's independent of each of your solutions, independent of service providers and vendors, 
and the integrators who are also in, involved in this ecosystem. And what, and what we're seeing is the need to be able to provide a way to, to normalize the testing and validation of these capabilities. Because to go into an environment where each vendor is providing their own tools and testing and the like is not gonna cut it in this multi-vendor environment. So there is gonna be a need in addition to this to be able to not only validate multi-vendor connectivity, but moving up the stack, even getting all the way to the application layer. You know, this, this notion of being able to validate at the service layer and then at the security layer and even at the application layer. Okay. And that's what we're gonna see over the long term. Okay, thank you. We have to close the panel. So I just want to ask the audience if there are any questions before we close. Any question you want, you can even ask a question which is specific to a panelist. One question, okay. We'll take one question and we'll close. The, I didn't push you on time, but we started a few minutes later. Thank you. I, have, I am an engineer and uh, I come from the network side. So in the old days, MPLS, there were the metric, and the metric were the famous triplet uh, delay, lo uh, delay loss in jitter, then uh, uh, reliability, MTTR, and so on and on. And when I was a student many, many, many years ago, my professor, after three hours, you are an engineer, and uh, you have you have a system in front of you, and each system on this planet has a metric. My question is, for, with respect to the old world, delay, loss, and jitter, we are the metric of the new world, SD1 plus security. The question is to somebody specific or to everybody? So uh, we need... <laughs> no, no, okay. So, what? <laughs> I am sure... I am sure that none, almost none, has addressed this question. I don't know whether in MEF. So uh, we can take one answer, okay? One answer because they're going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> so who wants to give the best answer? Oh, I'll take that. I, I can take <laughs> Sandra, okay. Managed service provider, go ahead. Uh, it's user experience. That, okay. And you go, no, no, no. In the background, we're using the metrics that you just explained. Yeah? And we're adding to that also application performance, which is not displayed by jitter latency and packet loss. But what does this mean for a typical user? Very, very little. So we're putting layers on top of that to display this in terms of user experience. Yeah? And because that's at the end of the day, the only thing that really counts is yeah. the application available. And is my user happy to use it? Because if it doesn't work, they're going to go out and have a cup of coffee, and that's not good for my productivity. Okay, so, so focus. I appreciate you as an engineer that you like to hear bits and bytes, but it's going to be user experience. Focusing on the coffee, we can continue over coffee the discussion. Absolutely. I would like to thank everybody for participation. Thank you. That is all for this episode of the CC Podcast Telco. Thank you very much for joining in. And please do not hesitate to follow and keep in touch on everything that GCCM is up to over the next few months.